This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Canadians are terrible at passwords. Hank the Hacker tells us how to make a good password, what makes a bad one, and just how easy it is for hackers to crack bad passwords. Now, how long does it take to hack into a passcode? Well, we get that insight too with a little bit of work from Hank the Hacker. Are you okay with cargo? Are you okay with bad tattoos? That's on the podcast. And Dr. Chris Fogarty with the Canadian Hurricane Center looks back at the 2023 hurricane season and helps us understand how we can be weather aware when we travel this winter. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Planned on uh, helping with some Christmas lights this weekend. Was worried because Saturday was so incredibly nice, 10 or 11 degrees, and then driving 14 and a half degrees today. Now, there have been days like this. I remember Christmas Day driving with the top down, 12 degrees on Christmas Day. I mean, so this is not unheard of. But to have an entire month and um, have this after the last few years where November's been cold, I, I hope you're enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. There's an incredible, um, incredible piece that I really was drawn to today. And it was about a gathering place. A gathering place is so incredibly important. And my experience of this gathering place really helped me understand this show in a way that I've never considered this show before. You see, my parents live in a, uh, a condominium, like it's attached houses, townhouses, if you will, like a row house, except they're just a more of a bungalow. And But there's like, I don't know, two or three attached and that's it. So it's not like a big row house, but you know what I mean. Everyone's got a small backyard. Everyone's got a driveway space between most of the houses and in behind the house, there's a pathway and sort of this garden that just stretches because on the other side are more of the same group homeowners association, I think is what they call it. Well, in one central area, they put up a gazebo, a gathering place, they put a little fire table there. And so my dad had said, Hey, if you have any extra Christmas lights, would you throw them up there on the gazebo? So I did that for them. Now it's great cup Sunday. When I did it, everyone's got things to do. And I learned after the fact that the people who came were like, there was uh, 88, 84, 82 active people out. And the only reason they did was because we were there. I was putting up lights. My mom, my dad came out. They sat down for a minute, then two more people, then two more people, then two more people. A couple people went home, a couple people came back, some people brought drinks and coolers and some people brought coffee. And for about an hour and a half, people just sat around. I haven't seen anybody that can see forever. The only reason they came was because somebody was there. And not to get overly cliche with it, but if you build it, they will come is so true. And after I left that and realized this is just a bunch of people sitting around, happy to see each other, chatting, saying, hey, that happen to be neighbors. Not even necessarily friends that see each other all the time, just happy to see each other neighbors. I realized the importance of the gathering place. And so it's a bit of a refreshed love affair that I carry with me into the show today because this is exactly what the shift is. It's just a gathering place. Now, most of us are meatballs and misfits and up way too late, working at night or getting up early to crush it. Can't sleep, maybe a little bit lonely. Well, this gathering place is incredibly special. Thank you for being here with us on the shift. 
This is the Shift Podcast. System breach. What just happened? Someone hacked me. Hank the Hacker is here. Hank Fordham, he's a hacker, um, white hat hacker, uh, the difference between white hat hacker, they're like the good guys, the locksmiths, teaches people how to not get in, but they'll also make sure that your doors are locked. And then you have a black hat hacker who would just go and takes whatever they want and do all the bad things, stealing and all the uh, hooliganism online and thievery. And then the gray hat hackers are kind of people where they're like, yeah, I'm kind of good. I'm not really bad. I just steal a little bit. So those are the three basic definitions of uh, what hackers are and what hackers do. So Hank is here to join us. Hank, welcome back. Appreciate that. I hope you changed your passwords after this list came out. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shane. You know, it, it's actually ironic because my dad got white hatted in Calgary. So oh, that is funny. Uh, <laughs> That's my right. dad also wore a white hat. So perfect. Uh, crowbar, uh, uh, Kelly J or Kelly Fordham is uh, Hank's dad. Um, so if you know the rock and roll, there you go. That all makes sense. Now I guess you've made it officially when you um, when you get white hatted too in Calgary. Then hey, <laughs> yeah, I guess a, it's kind of the thing. The they can sign stop doing you, it. You've finally done it, right? They can stop doing it, maybe, because in Calgary it's a tourism thing. You get white hatted as a welcome. It's kind of like getting yeah. a lay when you go to Hawaii, except you basically just they do it as a feature if you're special and if you're just nobody, you can pay for it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> when you arrive in Calgary, it's cool. A little, I like it. It's a cool little thing that they do here. Um, but maybe they should do that for all the hackers that are keeping us safe. Okay, there's a list that came out. It's on the Global News website. I'd love to post it on our Facebook group for you, but we can't do that anymore. So we will go over this list. A group went and they uh, <laughs> they say Canadian passwords are terrible, which let's start with the glaring obvious here, Hank. How do they know we have terrible garbage passwords unless they're stealing our passwords? <laughs> are they hacking us to get this uh, survey done? I, you know, I my immediate reaction when I went to look over this data is how are they getting this this exactly. accurate data? And but the, the reality is, and and maybe this makes it even sketchier, shadier. But the the data is coming from NordPass, and it's basically a password manager uh, application. You can sign up, and maybe you store your Netflix, Facebook, and Hotmail passwords all in one place. Um, and so it, it does kind of bring into question, how are they able to see all of this information? And um, the, the reality they shouldn't of be it, able to, right? Like your password no. should be encrypted, even though that they even though they store it for you, they don't have access to it. They shouldn't be able to. The, yeah. And, and you're right. I think in, in this case, um, what they're kind of analyzing is, is just, uh, cybersecurity experts and sources that these passwords are coming from uh, breaches or leaks. Uh, so I don't think it's actually the customers on the platform itself, but at the same time, um, and especially with the last year with password managers and, and the security surrounding them, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they could view that information. And, and if not, you know, other, other providers. And that's why I've never been a fan of putting kind of all your eggs in one basket, if you will, and mm -hmm. kind of 
I like the alternative with things like Stash Pass, where you can store it on a physical device um, that's tied and encrypted with your phone. So if you lose that device, it doesn't actually give them access to anything. That's interesting. Now, to take it off of Canada first, just to give you some examples of how terrible this is, they have a top 200 most common passwords around the world from 2019 to 2022. In 2019, NordPass uh, Nord, uh, claims that the number one most used password was 12345, with 2.8 million users using it. <laughs> the number two password was 123456 at 2.5 million. In 2021, the number one password was 123456. So actually, more people used it at 2.54 million the year after that. At a whole, There must have been some sort of technology shift because the 12345 dropped way down the list. So someone must have put in a rule of six-digit password on some big piece of software. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now this is this is where this was. So 2.54 million in 2020, up from number two to number one. The password 123456 in 2021 jumped to 103 million cases. In 2022, good news, it dropped to second place again at 1.5 million. Now that's the middle of the pandemic. That could have been a whole bunch of new technology, people coming, getting stuff from work and log into this, log into that. Here's your default password. People did never change it. That actually could be a thing here. Before we get too crazy about when we judgy here, Hank, I mean, there are default passwords that get put into things. And sometimes people get a device from work, they come home, they do it, they just don't ever change it. That, that's part of the guilt here. Yeah, you're exactly right. A lot of this metric is based on default passwords. And I think that's why um, in second place right now, we're seeing admin, one of the most popular default passwords, um, especially for, for new IoT devices or cheap like IP cameras. Um, the most popular password for that, and, and including even internet, like our modem at home is admin admin. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of inaccuracy in that regard with these these password patterns. But I, I think that it also speaks well to why they're they're kind of starting to make a recommendation in the cybersecurity scene that you don't make a password change every, you know, every month or three months uh, because it's actually kind of encouraging people to start using this um this really predictable pattern of say your password was uh, uh, regrettably was one, one, two, three, four, five. Um, and then that three month policy comes around and you just add a six and something that might be a little bit more realistic that I see in, in my engagements is someone putting like winter 2023 or summer 2023. And <laughs> And if that resonates with any listeners right now, please yeah. change your password. Change but, your password. <laughs> um, it, it speaks well on why you you shouldn't just, like I, I still encourage changing passwords every three months, but you should also create a really strong passphrase. And, and that's not something that we usually see in these big dumps. Um, and I'm kind of looking towards number 20 on that list with keep trying, uh, <laughs> even though it... it and and surprisingly, that's one of the the strongest passwords on the list, taking eleven days to crack it. Where 
a lot of these other passwords are are just taking a few seconds um, or even a few hours. So, so it's important to to make that complex, long, and confusing. Well, and I, I have no idea how a hundred thousand people all have the same password, Pepper, but it's a thing. And um, so again, I do find this concerning. I find it concerning that they have access to this. Um, 1.6 million in 2021, MySpace one as a password. Like that <laughs> makes no sense. Okay. You said passphrase. I like Hank the hacker. That's a passphrase, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I like Hank the hacker, uh, exclamation point or whatever it is that you want to find for some punctuation and throw a number in there too. Four. I don't know. You can just do it. Do whatever it is that works for you. And I have one recommendation. When you do your phrase, misspell one word. Leave out a letter. Or if you are going to do, I love Hank the Hacker, I love Hank the Hacker, maybe uh, don't include any of the letter E in it. Anywhere in the phrase. Right? So now, for you, it makes sense. I love Hank the Hacker. But if you drop the E's out, now you have a phrase that becomes incredibly difficult to do. And uh, I feel like Hank is like calculating right now. I love Hank the hacker. Okay. How many days does that take a machine to hack it? But, but seriously, like, I mean, things like that, Hank are really the ticket or the key, if you will, um, to, to making this work successfully. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And, and I love how you, you kind of caught me red handed there, but uh, at the start, I, re I remember someone saying, like, my password shouldn't be Shane123, and I actually calculated that, and it, it takes 0 .06 seconds to crack that password, but wow, um, for something, and I'm flattered, but for something like, I like Hank the Hacker for exclamation mark and maybe a special symbol, it actually raises that time to 96 years even though it sounds like it's something that's really easy to crack or to guess, uh, it actually brings that time for the hacker to be able to get in a, a lot higher. So it, it makes them kind of move on to the next person, if you will. Yeah, well, I always imagine it to be a lot like car thieves, right? I mean, if a car thief is an expert and they know how to have the technology to you know turn on your car and steal your particular car, they're going to take your car whether you like it or not. But if it's a hooligan that's trying to steal the change out of your change cup, they're they're going to be they're going to be really discouraged to take your car if you've got some extra things that kind of get in the way of that, um, like having the you know the um, that bar on your steering wheel, stuff like that, right? The club. Th these are things that you know you can apply some common sense that we've learned elsewhere to what everything is with your passwords. Now here in Canada, um, the password list that has been shared here that we've got, and this is all on globalnews.ca, by the way. Um, you can see all that, the whole list, by the way. The um, It's quite amazing to see this list. It includes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, password, unknown, password, password. I mean, so password with an at, I mean, that's all. That's all sort of so yesterday. Uh, changing your letters into punctuation, so on, your letters into numbers. But we've seen this kind of go on and on and on. Now, not only this, though, Hank, when there have been some massive hacks in the past, people have been, the database itself has been hacked. 
not someone getting in through stealing my I love Hank the Hacker password and getting into my account. Yeah. These are people that um, they've gone into the database. They've stole the info, some notable stuff. You know, Equifax was one. Ryan mentioned Ashley Madison was a huge one. You know, some of these hacks, there's no real protecting yourself when the business goes down on things like that. And I wanted to, I wanted to create a scenario so people understand how this could affect you. And the, just, I tried to think of something that was super simple. If you had a furnace company that was coming to replace your furnace next week because it's cold out and your furnace died and that furnace company gets hacked and they have some sort of ransomware and all of their information gets taken and all their computers get locked up, you could have prepaid for your furnace, but they probably can't come do your furnace work because they can't even tell if you paid. Like they have no records of anything, right? So there, something as simple as a furnace or furnace company or a cleaning company or whatever, if they get locked up, maybe it's a property management company, maybe you pay rent and the property management company can't tell if you, if you paid your rent or not. And then they can't tell if the landlords have been paid either because they have no access to the data. These things really can affect our lives before in many ways that we wouldn't accept, understand uh, if, until we sat with it. Yeah. Absolutely. And they do. They do happen every day. It's, it's alarming because a lot of the time when these things happen, you usually don't even hear about it. And, and I'm kind of thinking of when, when a company, especially something like um, a, a furnace company, if they went down, they're more likely to actually try and, you know, navigate the, the ransom themselves rather than actually contact any kind of law enforcement. And so in most cases, you, you have kind of an announcement where things are down and that service kind of ceases to exist. And your your example couldn't be more relevant because I, I literally just came back from uh, on the 17th, I presented at B-Sides Calgary at Bow Valley College. And they they had an event there called a capture the flag. It's basically a, a hacking challenge for for cybersecurity professionals. And in this capture the flag, they had a Wi-Fi hacking challenge. And the 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 goal of the Wi-Fi hacking challenge was basically to generate a word list based on the most popular um, passwords used in in Canada. <laughs> And, and access this Wi-Fi network. So once you got into this Wi-Fi network, it basically shows how easy it is for a hacker to e enter into a company and not only get a database, but if your password that took 96 years to crack was in that database, it, it doesn't matter how strong it was, it's still exposed. And that's why I think it's important to use multi-factor authentication and change your password every couple of months, every maybe even twice a year at the very least. So here's a great example that was texted in. It says, a good password is the first letters of a sentence only you would know, a number and special character. Like. I like that. I really like Bobby Boris Pickett. Um, that's the Monster Mash guy, I think. Um, and so the I really like Bobby Boris Pickett is I-R-L-B-B-P. And then... What this person in particular did was they took all of the proper capitals, Bobby Boris Pickett, um, and turned them into lowercase. And the ones, the words that shouldn't be capitalized, they turned into uppercase. So they did opposite. So it's lowercase I, really like, capital R, capital L. 
BBP 88 exclamation point. So IRLBBP BBP 88 exclamation point. Hank's running a calculation on that one right there. Even with the, um, even with the uh, letters capitalization mixed up, that must be tough. But you know that phrase. I like Hank the Hacker. I-L-H-T-H. I-L-H-T-H 100, right? Just to add to that, if you, so that takes 12 months to crack, but if we add another exclamation point, or some kind of symbol in front of everything, like you prepend mm. everything. So exclamation mark, IRLBBP4 exclamation mark. It raises it up to four to six years. See, what a uh, difference. So the more symbols and more complexity you can add, the better. Hank the Hacker here on the Shift. I'm Shane Hewitt. Next week, I have two things, Hank, that I have questions about. Number one, software today has become application-based, meaning we used to download all the software onto our computer. And then mm -hmm. this big bloated software bits and all of the heavy lifting was done on your computer. In today's world, it's usually just an application, kind of like your phone, that it accesses data online and it's constantly connecting back and forth. So your computer can do the basics of the software, but it's accessing information online always. Are these apps vulnerable if they get hit just because we have a connection open to them always? Can we get hit? And we talked about passwords. How about next week? We talk about usernames. Ooh, what's your username? I'm excited. That's interesting. Hey, this gets Hank I'm all excited. excited, right? So this is the kind of stuff that makes Hank's world go around. I know he's a lot of fun at a party. Hank the Hank, the, uh, Hank the <laughs> Hacker. <laughs> Thanks for being here, brother. Thank you so much, Shane. Thanks for listening, guys. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you, are you are you okay 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 are you okay with how about we kickstart your day with some stories that'll make you ponder or shake your head could go either way 877-399-9898 use this number to share your thoughts on these stories you can also get that number at shiftheads.ca if that's easier are you okay with cargo planes Hell yes, they're fascinating. They're very cool. To me. They're very Isn't cool. Isn't it cool? Yeah. Like the containers I, and the machine that lifts them up, and then they roll off the one machine and roll into the airplane, and then they tie mm -hmm. them down. Oh, the ones right? that open from the front, like the the one oh, that the, looks like a whale. That's enough. Yeah. Oh, that's the, the beluga. I was. I know the belugas. Yeah, I was bummed I didn't get to see the Antonov when I was flying into Pearson last week. I was really sure I get to see it because it's still you didn't parked see it? there. No, yeah, it was there. No, I saw it when I went. Like, mm hmm. Yeah, I saw it when I went. It was, uh, it's just so cool. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I just see it a park there when I was there a couple of weeks ago. Um, the thing about cargo planes is it's, it's so cool to watch them to move the stuff around. Although after watching the Tom Hanks movie and watching yeah. all the, after the, the plane went through the weather and everything was like, <laughs> um, that wasn't great. It was a little scary. But aside from that, <laughs> it was awesome. Um, to do it. I think it's fascinating. I love it. It's one of my favorite bits. In fact, I just spent some time on the weekend hobby looking at the 777 and the uh, the Boeing 777 and the new versions of the 777 that are out. There was mm -hmm. a airline has just declined it because they don't like the Rolls-Royce engines and as opposed to the other engines. La, 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 la. Anyway, it's just cool and super nerdy. I love it, especially like there's this little boy part of me that kicks in 
of like construction man. <laughs> like I love it. I, there's nothing about oh, it yeah. that I don't it's, love. You have planes. I have tanks. Like I th feel like most people have like that one piece of engineering, whether it's a car or a plane or whatever that you get a little bit too geeky about, but you have mm -hmm. no shame about it. And you'll mm -mm. find that community of people that share in the geekiness of it. It's beautiful. Yeah, I don't care. I mean, I don't care. I, I'll talk about it all day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so good. So good. Okay, cargo planes are quite marvels. I mean, they're huge, usually. Um, although 737s are used as cargo now, which is cool. The marvels of engineering are unbelievable. 747s, the biggie biggies, they're still basically 767s, the old ones. They're basically being used as cargo only. But as you're about to hear, sometimes cargos struggle when holding animals about why a plane bound for Belgium was forced to turn around and head back to JFK last week. Turns out, and this is bizarre, a horse got loose from its hold in the cargo plane and could not be resecured. That horse was on the run on that plane. The plane was in the air for less than a half hour before it needed to turn back. Unclear how that horse managed to escape, but pilots in communication with air traffic control alerted that a vet was needed once they got back on the ground. We are continuing to follow that story that is a bit wild out there. The Wild West, one might say. <laughs> okay, that's Pix 11. Uh, the best part of the story is the pilot attempting to explain why the plane needed to return to the airport quickly. Yes, sir. Uh, we are a cargo plane. Uh, we have live animal horse on board the airplane, and the horse managed to escape his stall. Uh, we don't have a, a problem as of flying-wise, but we need to return, return back to New York. We cannot get the horse back secure. <laughs> <laughs> Who whose job is it to get the horse back secure? Because how many people are on cargo planes? Is it usually just two? Uh, probably three, maybe on a big one. Yeah, depends how far they're flying. Mm -hmm. um, for their duty, well, that was time. going to. Oh, he said it at the start of the story. It was destined for Belgium, and that's a long flight. It's not a short flight. Depends on where they were, I suppose. But JFK to Belgium, yeah, six hours, maybe seven. It's a long time to have a horse running around your airplane. Let's just <laughs> yeah, put it that way. Clopping around. <laughs> Clopping around your horse plane. Your horse plane. Your horse plane. That's not what I meant. It's not that kind of airplane. Um, yeah. So this this is fun. I, um, I Have you ever seen a horse get loose in a horse trailer? No. Have you ever been driving down the road and had a cow pee on your car through a cow trailer? Um. No. If you ever drive a convertible or mm. if you ever have a sunroof open, no. never drive next to a cattle truck because you never know what's going to rain because they will sometimes just pee out the holes. I mean, I don't think they're actually that skilled and they're trying to pee out the holes. I've just literally seen it happen. And boy, oh boy, you never gone to wash your car so quick. But if you imagine a horse in a small space, scared that never goes well no it's an awful idea a horse will break its neck if you tie it to a post and it freaks out and pulls back it'll break its own neck if they freak out so bad that's why you don't ever tie them up that way and so it's amazing to uh to imagine what that would have been like to the pilot was so calm well we don't have a flying problem per se we have a horse that's going to loosen the <laughs> Um, yeah, that's very scary, actually. Very scary. And here's the thing. How much do you think that horse is worth? The horse had to see the vet, clearly, when it came down. Yep. 
And then they still had to get it into something because it's not like they could just pull over on the side of the runway and open the door and let it out for a pee. So how much do you think a horse is worth if they're willing to fly it across the Atlantic? Oh, yeah. It could be a racehorse or a breeding horse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's expensive oops, I think is what that boils down to. My goodness. Are you okay? Oh, no word on if the horse made its connecting flight. <laughs> Ryan was waiting for me to do that when he wrote that. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Are you okay with bad tattoos? Ah. Mm, depends. It depends. I've seen some bad tattoos. I've seen some like bad script tattoos where it's just, you know, words, but the font is really bad or it makes no sense what they're saying. You know, there's some stereotypical ones, but yeah, I don't really judge people too much for that. And then I saw, I'll never forget this. I was at a bar with my buddy and we sat down with these people that he like kind of knew and we chatted, you know, kind of like friends for a night. You know, I'll never see these people again, but we had a nice night and their friend came over and I noticed he had a bunch of tattoos. And I was like, oh man, those are cool. And he's like, you want to see my favorite one? I said, oh sure. And he lifts up his shirt a bit. And you know, when you're like five years old and you draw a car and it's a rectangle with a rectangle on top and two wheels, mm -hmm. he had that tattooed exactly like that on his, on his lower abdomen. And he loved it so much. I thought it was so funny. It's so stupid and so ironic. And I was like, when you're in your 20s and your 30s, genius. No notes. 70s, 80s, 60s might be a bit more regretful, but that's the risk you take with a bad tattoo. Yeah, I think that you, um, I think you're generous when you say genius. I am generous, um, yes. That's generous. I, look, my opinion of tattoos, and I've said it a million times, is I just simply have a different perspective on tattoos. My son got a new tattoo all over his wrist, some beautiful mountains and trees, and he's studying by pilots, got an airplane on it, it's got a hockey player skating on an outdoor rink in the mountains, you know, to tribute to his hockey life. He literally put every thought you can imagine into it. It was great. If you're going to put any intention behind it, this is, this is exactly the kind of intention that you need to put. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, that part is beautiful, but I just said it. He was like, well, what do you think? What do you think? He's very excited. He wanted to hear his dad say that I love it, right? Of course. And uh, which, and so, I mean, I do love it. I think it's beautiful. I, my opinion on tattoos is the same, is that so many people like Ryan, your opinion that you shared with us here, is that it's artwork. You love to have beautiful artwork and your body, you, you put on the artwork. And I agree, it's your body. Do the thing. But I just think that your body is the artwork. And that's just my, my perspective on it. I think your body is the artwork. I mean, so many people say that my body is my canvas and I get to express myself. Yep, you do. And my perspective is that your body is actually the artwork. And that's all. So, yeah. So, I mean, tattoos are fun. That doesn't mean I won't even get one. I would actually like to get one with my kids that matches, you know, some sort of, you know, uh, family crest thing, something like that that matches. I think that'd be really great. What a nice little touch, right? My kids did that with their mom. They all got three little triangles that are intersecting for the three of them. I think that's great. Now, when tattoos go bad, they are fun to poke at. I love the ones with the symbols. When people get the wrong symbol, right? They're like, oh, oh it's for peace and love. Actually, nope, it's for fish soup. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I think that's way great. more often than you'd think. Yeah. Now they're fun to make fun of. Ryan loves it if they have typos. Can we all agree that Ryan should never be able to proof a tattoo? I think that'd be fair. No. Yeah. Terrible idea. Um, we're the Millers and the No Ragrets tattoo. What's your name, man? Scotty P. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, I'm awake and I speak English, so yeah, I do know what you're saying. Hi. Bye. We're going to go. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where do you think you're going? Would you please have a seat? Hey, those are cool tats, man. Oh, for real. Thank you, bro. You yeah. see the Cobra? Yeah, what is this one? Oh, this? Uh-huh. That's my credo. No regrets. Mm-hmm. You have no regrets? Dad. No. Like, not even a single letter. <laughs> now, the tattoo <laughs> was R-A-G-R-E-T-S, regrets. Now, today's tattoo... <laughs> oh, Ryan. <laughs> I'm pretty sure... I have no justification. Just hit the thing. Just no, it. don't hit the thing. I could. I gotta spell it first. Today's <laughs> um tattoo. T o a d a y s. Today's tattoo. Oh, the thing button's broken. Does mm. not have a typo, but it is ironic. A 37 year old man with an all gas, no brakes. B r e a k s tattoo. Ended a series of car burglaries with a crash during police chase on Monday in Polk County. That's right, Polk County. It's in Florida. What does it mean to be from Florida? Florida. Straight drip. All right, just out of the spirit of the fact the computer works now. That's a typo. There we go. Deputies were chasing Timothy Hogue, 37, of uh, Apopka. I think, as he was speeding yep. in a 2006 Cadillac CTS when he crashed. Here are the charges he's facing. Burglary of an una, 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 unoccupied conveyance with an enhanced... <laughs> that was my brain. That was not right. Burglary of an unoccupied conveyance with an enhancement of cross-country lines, felony, petit theft. Oh, we don't love the petit theft. <laughs> uh, the theft de petit. Uh, fleeing to elude... Not quite sure why else you would flee. Conspiracy to commit burglary, possession of methamphetamine, possession of marijuana, possession of drug paraphernalia, and resisting arrest without violence. Well, at least he was nice about that. I was surprised Not to mention it was without violence. His tattoo. All gas, no brakes. B-R-E-A-K-S. I'll give one to him, too. That's a typo. Well done. That's the part of the tattoos. I'd be so afraid. He you did. Should, you right? Know. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing, right? Like, it's car brakes, but not that kind of brakes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dems the brakes, that's for sure. Dems the brakes. Okay. On Are You Okay With? I'm Shane Hewitt. That's Ryan O'Donnell. This next story starts like this. Mayor West, what are you doing here? I'm being a rascal and ringing people's doorbells and running away. Then what are you still doing here? It's my first house. I'm not very good at this. Are you okay with... I'm being a rascal. Being a rascal. Mayors. Are you okay yeah. with mayors? Yeah. Mayors yeah. Are, are cool. I, I think it's interesting that the mayor is a job that is different 
in depending on where you live. Like there's some towns where the mayor is just like this symbolic, like, you know, just kind of does nothing. That's the mayor, Mr. Mayor. Our dog can be the mayor. And then major cities will have elections for their mayors and it makes national headlines like in Toronto earlier this year. It's a weird, it's a weird job. Weird job. It is a weird job. It is a weird job. And the, um, the interesting part about this weird job, of course, is that, you know, anybody in a lot of places can run to be mayor. It doesn't take an education. And I do believe that in municipal politics, you should not have political parties. I think that's a big thing. Um, some mm-hmm. places are doing that now where they can be influenced by parties and party politics. I don't like that part. I think mayors should only do nothing but represent their cities, not a political um, agenda. Now, mayors are usually elected by the people. But in today's story, the mayor was elected by some metal. Robert Burns is now the new mayor of Monroe. After counting the remaining provisional and absentee ballots, he and Bob Janicek were both tied with 970 votes. And you see the results there. That is Robert Burns getting hugged by his supporters. Both of them waived their right for a recount. Janicek called heads and the coin landed on tails. Wow, that's a yep. that's a big one. Yep. WSON TV flip coin. How is a flip coin allowed? Well, both waived their right for a recount, which led to the coin toss. Janicek called heads on the coin. It landed on tails. Both candidates spoke to news outlets after Election Day, saying they found the scenario amusing and said they trusted the process. Amusing. (laughs) The future of your community. That's amusing. Jono, can you play the first couple of seconds of that clip again? Robert Burns okay, is that's now good. the new mayor you of You realize Mon- his name is Robbie Burns. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Burns. I think that that would be a great day. And is the day he get elected Robbie Burns Day? Does that mean that there's more than um, one day here? I think that's fun. A heck of a party, though, if you really yeah. wanted to have a party with all of it, I would say that's a thing. This is the Shift Podcast. Down in Acapulco, Mexico, there was a storm last week, and not a lot of people talked about it, which I find a little bit strange. It was sort of in the news, and then nobody really got to hear about it. It was a a nasty storm, that's for sure. It was called Hurricane Otis. And here to talk about storms and a little bit of a nerd out in general, I, I just had some questions after this one is Chris Fogarty. He's with um, the Canadian Hurricane Center, which I feel like, Chris, you should have to yell that because it's hurricanes. I feel like, I work at the Canadian Hurricane Center. Like the um, like Anderson Cooper uh, chained to a gas pump in a hurricane on TV. How you doing, bud? Yeah, yeah, it sounds sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah, through the, through the high winds. <laughs> yeah, through all the high winds, you got it. So, Chris, uh, storms is your jam. Uh, you love this stuff. Uh, tell me, what did you think of Hurricane Otis that hit Acapulco? Uh, and did it come out of nowhere? Yeah, I, I knew that there was a tropical storm on, you know, not too far off the coast, and as did my counterparts in uh, Miami and Florida at the National Hurricane Center there in the U.S., and they're responsible for forecasting these storms off the coast of Mexico. And, uh, you know, myself was surprised that it had intensified so quickly and and then moved ashore you know, immediately uh, as it did. And, you know, my colleagues down there, they were, they were surprised, but we're not surprised. That's, 
sort of, if that makes any sense, I'll elaborate, of course, on that. Mm -hmm. uh, wicked storm regardless, though. Yes. Yeah. Extremely intense it, it, and rapidly intensified to category five. And uh, yeah, it hit Acapulco in the middle of the night, basically. And in, you know, with very little warning, really, the local residents and tourists that were there, I'm sure, were they knew that there was a storm, but it was all like everything all went downhill within the span of 24 hours. Now, Acapulco is on the wrong side of Mexico, <laughs> right? Like this is not the side that we hear coming through, um, you know, the Caribbean and all this warm water and everything else. Does that make this difference? Cause isn't like we talked about typhoons and all these different ones. I mean, this was a Pacific ocean hurricane. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. There's two parts of the world where they're called hurricanes, but hurricanes, typhoons are all the same meteorological phenomena. So the, uh, Atlantic Ocean, you have hurricanes throughout the Atlantic. And then there's a small area in the Pacific Ocean that gets them as well, the East Pacific. And it's on that west side of Mexico, the Acapulco side, Baja, California. They get them there too. But most of these storms, they don't affect the land. They move uh, out to the mid-Pacific Ocean, kind of toward Hawaii. They usually dissipate before Hawaii. Sometimes California will get a little, you know, distant remnants, but you don't hear of hurricanes in California. And, and it's kind of for that reason. You get them in Florida. They're mostly on the Atlantic side. And mm -hmm. usually Acapulco, Mexico, they don't get the storms because they're moving. They form over the water and then they move further away offshore. They usually don't move onshore. So that was another big thing with this particular storm not only was a category five but you know normally they don't get hurricanes in acapulco yeah and not far away from other places too i mean i feel like we should in today's world some of your colleagues in other storm focus they you know they've renamed a lot of things and i feel like so if we're going to rename things you know like pineapple express and all those things mm -hmm. i feel like we should rename these i mean they should be like hurricane plus like disney does or hurricane express or hurricane west it's confusing for guys like me when they happen in different places like this but it's not far away from guatemala it's not far away from honduras i mean it's a bit of a trip but it is i mean but this one seemed incredibly intense and it seemed to just really pummel that i didn't even hear news about mexico city which i would assume that it would have you know hit there yeah mexico city is like in the middle of the you know that that land. Yeah, like literally in the middle. Yeah, the extension of land between North and South America, Central America. Which I don't understand why anybody would live in Mexico and then live in the middle of the land. Yeah, <laughs> not, yeah, they're not near the ocean at all. They would have, Mexico City itself would have had some of the leftover rain from the system, but Mexico City itself would never experience hurricane winds, whether they're coming from the Atlantic side or the Pacific side. Yeah, it's only the coastal regions that really get, you know, the extreme winds from them. But, uh, yeah, this it's, you know, you really need to see a map to understand, you know, the tracks of these things. But trying to explain mm -hmm. it in words, basically, you know, the surprise factor there at Acapulco is normally they're just moving along the coast or further offshore. And this one basically came up, you know, tracked from the south to the north, which is an unusual track direction for storms there. Uh, not as touristy, clearly. I mean, I think you might have just answered my question as why people live in land because then you don't have to deal with these storms the same way. Mm -hmm. These are areas of Mexico that, you know, it's quite a ways away from Puerto Vallarta. 
Um, but you got Guadalajara. You, these are the things that we hear about in documentaries about drug runners at kinds of areas of Mexico, not touristy areas. But still, this one still took quite the pummeling and um, affected tourists in, in many different ways. Acapulco, one of those late 70s, early 80s tourist joints that didn't seem to carry over the same way and become so mainstream that we see for today. Mm-hmm. But th- this is this really is that forecasting thing, right? Like this, this is where forecasting is supposed to protect us. And I, I think we understand the technologies better. What was different about this particular storm that made it go from tropical storm to zero to 100, if you will, um, so quickly where it seemed to surprise everybody? Yeah. And going back to what I said earlier, we were surprised, but also not surprised. What I mean by the not surprised part is that hurricanes and typhoons, they, they will do this. They'll intensify at a very rapid pace. Uh, occasionally, maybe once every five years somewhere on the planet, we'll see one of these storms go from just tropical storm to Category 5 in the span of 24 hours. Normally, you know, it takes several days to do that, but this does happen. Now, the worst-case scenario for that rapid deepening to happen is a storm just offshore, and it's moving toward land, so you don't, we don't really have enough time to give people that warning also when you think of tornadoes they're very hard to predict they're very short time you know they spin up within within a half an hour and then you've got hurricanes and winter storms which is sort of on the other end of the spectrum and they we usually see them many days ahead so uh, otis was kind of sort of in the in the middle of that spectrum not quite tornado like but certainly more on the tornado side of things in terms of predictability and you know the the lead time like tornadoes we can give people maybe 20 minutes of warning you know they're a very short time frame mm-hmm. but they're a very intense storm so yeah i think uh, otis we can think of that almost a little bit more tornado like than you know your typical hurricane yeah well that makes sense actually when you describe it that way i mean that adds on to this that's for sure now these storms and, and watching these storms is, is quite fantastic. There's always elements, and please correct me if I get this wrong, but, you know, the water depth matters not so much because of the actual depth, but more so how much of that water is warm at the top. That's why we sort of see the Caribbean. Um, and maybe it's the depth of the warm water versus the cold, deep water. It's probably a more accurate way to say that. But we see that. I mean, access to water, access to heat. And um, I'm assuming that shallower water gets warmer and that's what really adds fuel to these things at that point? And that's right. Yeah, we know the hurricanes get their energy from the warm ocean. Now, if the ocean is warm, but it's only warm, you know, for like three or four feet down from the surface, then you get the winds from the hurricane will stir up that cooler water that's underneath. And then you don't get this rapid deepening. So you need not just warm water you know, ocean temperatures, but that warm water has to go down, uh, extend down, you know, a good hundred feet or 30 meters on the metric side of things uh, Mm -hmm. in order to keep that, the fuel, the energy going in the storm. Yeah. Now, Chris, you're with the Canadian Hurricane Center, therefore hurricanes is your jam. Where do you watch? I know that you've shared with us your love affair for this and how you like to pay close attention to it. And, you know, you do like to nerd out about it. That's why we love chatting with you. But where do you like to watch? Because we see so many of these storms that start to really brew on that 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 western edge of of Africa, right? Um, Canary Islands and all those places. And then they start to really brew up out there. 
And then they start coming. What's the secret to you guys? I'm asking maybe for your 11 herbs and spices of storm watching. Where do you like to pay attention to most? Um, usually I'll know the storm is on, on the map. It's down in the tropics. Uh, you know, I'll keep sort of a, a look. I'll watch it sort of off the corner of the desk while I'm doing some other stuff. And I really myself don't start paying much attention to it until it's until uh, I know it's going to be moving up toward eastern Canada. And all the, you know, the, the partners and, you know, people within my organization and the federal weather departments, once they see that, uh, that it could affect eastern Canada, then I start uh, looking at, you know, many different things from, you know, the, the meteorology, the science side, all the way over to communication side of things. Okay, you know, I, I might start thinking, well, we had that other storm two weeks ago. How are people going to be, they're going to be all worked up about this one. So I'm going to have to sort of change my game plan a little bit. You know, I'll have to give people, you know, more of a, more of a calming word where, you know, no, it's not going to be as bad as Fiona. That's what it was like this year with Hurricane Lee that hit Nova mm. Scotia mid to, mid September. There was all this, you know, worry about Fiona last year, right? Every, naturally that, you know, people think back to the last big one that hit. So it, it really does depend a lot on what's happened previous uh, years or earlier in that season. Um, without throwing any colleagues under the bus, you can answer this or not answer it appropriately. But I mean, we do, I have learned this, is we have some people who work in your industry that have no problem using inflammatory words. And I would imagine it's an integrity issue. And there are other people that you just described that work really hard to make sure that the understanding that the public gets is clear and respects mother nature and uh, her strength and power, but at the same time, doesn't terrify people at the same thing. That must be, and maybe the media is not listening. You can call us out too, but you know, it, it must be incredibly difficult to navigate all that because as you're trying to protect people, you have to make sure that they understand the risks don't panic. And then just like in the media, we like to think that we work inside integrity here. We don't know. We all know that there are other, you know, people in, in the media that don't. Um, and so, you know, you must kind of go through a similar pattern. Hey, it must be difficult at times. Yeah. As much as I like the, you know, the science, the nerdy, you know, the, the, the meteorology side of it, I, I really do take a lot of pride in uh, communication messaging. Uh, you know, when these storms are approaching, you know, that's what, like I mentioned a minute ago, uh, what happened last time? Okay, what's going to be in people's mindset when they're hearing the forecast for this storm? So I'll, you know, myself, I'll maybe change the language or wording of it a little bit to, you know, elay their fears or, you know, give them the proper level of, of concern that they should have and stay you know out of the often there'll be drown you know as we know certain parts of the media which is more based on listenership or viewership readership the you know the big headlines to sort of get your attention maybe yeah, the kind of clickbait stuff yeah so the we're competing with that we're also competing with uh, you know just the armchair reader all just so to speak they're weather keeners uh, they're able to you know make their own websites that and some of these websites can look quite official you know like canadian uh, maybe not canadian hurricane center but you know national uh, canada hurricane center so a slightly yeah, something different like that yeah. <laughs> and got so it yeah we yeah. have to get into 
uh, we have to approach some of these uh, people with uh, be careful. You're you're sort of infringing on you know the official government uh, you know channels of, of weather prediction, and we have to be careful that you know because we are the official agency for issuing these hurricane warnings, and then right. you you know all the other voices out there saying, oh, this is going to be a real bad one. Yeah. Well, and how integral those people are to be able to help out and see things, and they you know I mean it's kind of the the army of people looking into space, right? Looking through telescopes, they're going to see things and discover things that not everybody's going to see. And so yet so integral, but at the same time, uh, and a good understanding of the integrity and responsibility that comes with it. I think that's, that's such an important part. And, and maybe that's what I'm hearing from you is to, to acknowledge that is the hard work that goes into those, those bits and pieces. Uh, Chris Fogarty is here. It's Canadian hurricane center. And how are we looking for, for Canada this year? Um, and, I don't like to say tiptoe and I don't like to say skip because they kind of skip up the U.S. East Coast from time to time. When those storms come, they get quite nasty and uh, they often spin off into Europe. So what um, you guys are behind or downstream from America's forecasting, but upstream from the U.K. Mm-hmm. and uh, all of that. How are we looking for this year and what does that flow look like? So, yeah, here in the eastern Canada, we have like, uh, as of now, we're into early November, so usually we, we're, you know, we're pretty quiet here after the, the tail end of the hurricane season. So we usually don't see too much uh, after this point in time. But in general, when we're dealing with these uh, tropical systems, the ones that move up along the eastern coast of the U.S., they they can present some different challenges too, because uh, the storms that as they're hitting the eastern states. The impacts that are occurring there, people are seeing here in Canada on TV, and then there's a concern about, uh, you know, oh, is that going to translate into what Halifax will get, right? That's why the Canadian Hurricane Center was uh, established back in the mid-80s, because when Hurricane Gloria came up from New England in Canada and the Maritimes, there were there's a lot of this panic almost, this worry that, oh, my God, look what's happening in, in Boston and Cape Cod. You know, and it's coming our way. But so we needed a, the Canada needed to have a hurricane center to properly translate those impacts in the U.S. to eastern Canada. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, in terms of Europe, I mean, the U.K. They they they're no stranger to these tropical systems too. But they're usually quite transformed by the time they reach them. They move over quite a bit cooler waters, and, and they're not your typical hurricane they're more of a nor'easter type storm of the time the the uk and ireland gets them yeah that was one of the questions was how is it possible that you get a caribbean hurricane over in the uk and it's not usually that by the time it gets there and and yet um here we go i mean imagine that cold water has a big impact not to mention the distance traveled across deep water uh, to get to it as well how was the 2023 hurricane season in general as it sort of wraps up and you and your colleagues get to go on your own vacation <laughs> instead. Yeah. It was, uh, it's running right now at, uh, we have these, this is sort of a unit of uh, overall storm activity. The average is 110 units of, of energy and we've had about 135 uh, units of energy this year. So it's, it's basically uh, about 25% above normal. So it was, definitely a an above normal year back at the beginning in april before the summer and hurricane season 
most of the forecasters were thinking that this would be a near normal, maybe a little bit below normal because of the El Nino that was on the go this year. But turned out that the water was, the ocean temperatures were so warm this year that these uh, tempering El Nino effects were not as big a player this year. So it ended up being active in the end. Yeah. So mm. hot, warm, hot water With- temperatures really sort of messed up the forecast and it could have been yeah. warmer. Now, is there a is there a scale on intensity that you follow to storm over storm if you're tracking the numbers together? Like a seasonal scale, you mean? Like- yeah, I guess like a. I don't even know what I'm asking. I guess it's kind of like okay, there was more storms than normal. Were they as bad or worse, or were they less bad, or or were they? Yeah, because I mean, imagine it's like here when we get snow in Calgary, for example, we can have all kinds of days of snow. Yep. but they're not very bad. Typically here, we don't get a lot of snow. It's quite warm, but when we get it, it's usually either coming down in buckets or it's going sideways, right? So mm-hmm. even though there was a lot of storms, were they bad storms this year? Right, right. Yeah, this uh, depends how you yeah, slice it. The, that met, the metric I just mentioned there, but you know, the overall energy units, that sort of includes everything, right? In terms okay. of... Uh, we had we just had the one category five uh, briefly, and uh, there were I think the I think the total number of storm days that went uh, when when a named storm was on the map was was double uh, double the normal. So that would just basically boil down to lots of tropical storms, not too many like really high end ones. So the, you know there was a lot of storms out there, but we didn't have you know the really strong category threes fours and fives this year so yeah that's one way to characterize it yeah quality over quantity yeah yeah. right (laughs) right quite amazing um through the course of the winter do you guys just kind of get quiet and do the housekeeping things is that like i imagine your world to be a little bit like tornado season Uh a little bit like firefighting season Uh do you or do you guys have to shift gears and prepare and do all kinds of forecasting uh, as well at the hurricane center yeah, well, what we do here at the Canadian Hurricane Center is most of the forecasters that work during these hurricanes, they, they're they just on the regular forecast desk throughout the winter. So, you know, they'll go back to their regular programming, right? The regular duties forecast in the next blizzard or the cold snap in February. Now, me, myself, I'm the only forecaster in the center that's devoted purely to hurricane stuff. So during the off season, I'll be... Uh, sort of doing training or going to conferences, uh, learning about new forecast techniques that are going to be out there that we can put into you know use next year. All those sort of things, uh, website updates. You know, hey, last year we got five complaints about this thing on our website. Let's see if we can right. fix that. All that sort of stuff. So it's yeah. pretty busy in the off season, but it, it is a time to take a breather in usually late. October and early winter. Once we get into spring, it's sort of like the pre-season training conference uh, time of year. Uh, Hurricane Chris, for some people, would be an insult, but for this guy, it's a compliment. Um, <laughs> where does does Hurricane Chris go to hurricane places on vacation, or do you tend to go to less active, less energetic places? <laughs> well, uh, I do have the luxury of the fact that. I am into, and that's my job, hurricane forecasting. Now, most of our conferences and our meetings are in tropical places. So what I often do is kind of take a extra time off 
before or after the trip or just during Smart. the conference itself. Uh, yeah, I've taken family members, uh, you know, on some of these conference conferences and, uh, you know, enjoyed ourselves. And, you know, it's, there hasn't been much of it, of course, since COVID. And right. looking at our travel budgets uh, in the government over the next uh, year or so, to, I don't know if I'm going to be getting to too many conferences this year. <laughs> and the fact that we've got Zoom and Teams, you know, a lot of the – you know, there's more trimming of the budgets because, you know, well, you guys can, you've done it for three years, done your, uh, you know, conference online. There's still certain aspects, of course, of networking, you know, relationship building that you don't, you can't really replicate that with the, sort of, it's not the official meeting time. It's those, you know, over dinner or, you know, at the bar. Oh, and it's so integral, right? To, meet people and then you get that one person that you met and something comes up at work and you're like, I know who I need to call. I got to call Steve, the guy that I met at this conference because he has the answers for that, right? Yeah. That's so integral. Very cool. I love it. Well, this is super fun and super nerdy. And Chris, I always appreciate your open honestness about all of it. And uh, it's neat to see how that Pacific situation um, is understandable when you explain it the way you explain it. And then here we are uh, looking at the end of it with so many people um, looking to travel. And I think it's important right now, we've got another piece that we're working on here on the shift and how it, it's cheaper to go to Mexico than it is to go to Regina. So um, more people are going to places like that you're talking about and, um, and why that's uh, why that's important for us to learn. Cause we do need to be prepared for all things. When we go, we often take it for granted that, everything's going to be the same and that's not the case. So I really appreciate you being here and helping us understand. And, and it's nice to see that the East coast is maybe settling a little bit. Hey, settling in for winter. Yeah, I think we are. Thanks for being here, man. Okay. Thanks Shane. Thanks for listening to the shift podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify and curious cast.ca. 